Podcast City Network. This is Jim the Podcast Sherpa from Too Many Podcasts, and you've got a ringside seat to the Mark the Shark MMA show. Let's get ready to podcast! Hi everyone, I am your host, Mark the Shark Retorto, and welcome to the Mark the Shark MMA show, where every week we talk about the wonderful sport of MMA. To me, we will review the most recent and upcoming events in MMA news. In each episode, the format may be changed, but you will always be entertained. There will be special interviews with special guests, along with special insights on the sport from our guest hosts. Also, check out our Facebook page for news and updates on future episodes. Also, we appreciate donations from our listeners to keep our podcast up and running. You can make a donation by clicking on the Click the Support button found at anchor.fm slash Mark the Shark MMA Show. And that's Mark spelled with a C and not a K. We are also looking for guests who want to be on the show and sponsors who want to advertise their product and brand on the show. For more information, contact me on the Mark the Shark MMA Show Facebook page. Page. Also, for a plug-in, if you're looking for a good action thriller suspense novel, check out a book called The Cabal, The Saga Begins. You can find it on both Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com. It is available in paperback, Kindle, and audiobooks format on Amazon.com. and paperback version only on BarnesandNoble.com. And the hardcover version is only available at www.retortofamilybooks.com. For a good book for your kid to read, check out I Am a Survivor or Invisible Girl, written by a little 11-year-old girl by the name of Christina Retorta. She has her books in Kindle and audiobook format and paperback format on Amazon.com and paperback format on both Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. And the hardcover version is only available at www.retortofamilybooks.com. Okay, everyone, keep on listening. We'll be back shortly after this break. Hi everyone, I just want to let you know that both me and my daughter have new books out. My daughter's book is called A Little Bit Louder, which is the second book in the Invisible Girl series. And my new book is a vampire fantasy book series called The Dark World Chronicles. And the first book in the series is called Marcus the Vampire. You can check them both out at www.retortofamilybooks.com or amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Alright guys, this is Mark the Shark, and I got some great news. If you subscribe to my email list on my website, I will email you a promo code that will allow you to save 20% on any MMA gear or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu gear put out by Hypnotic. All you have to do is go to www.marktheshark.mmashow.com, and that is Mark with a C and not a K, and subscribe to my email list. Go ahead and subscribe today. Hey everyone, I just wanted to let you know that I recently just did an interview on a podcast called Too Many Podcasts. Uh, it was a great interview. I think you'll like it. I talk about my 
MMA sh- uh, podcast show here at the Mark the Shark MMA show, as well as my new book called Marcus the Vampire. I'll post a link in the description of this episode. podcast and you're listening to mark the shark mma show three all right guys we're back on the show and today we've got a very special guest former invicta flyweight champion barb honchak how you doing today hey mark i'm doing good thanks for having me on okay yeah, you're the first world champion I'm interviewing on the show. Oh, yeah. You know, so I'm very excited. And the yeah. first person I've had on the show that was also on The Ultimate Fighter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've interviewed a couple, I've interviewed uh, several UFC fighters and Bellator fighters, but you're the first world champion, first person that ever interviewed from The Ultimate Fighter. So, so it's going to be kind of like a real treat for me. Yeah, great. Ask away. <laughs> <laughs> so um, give the listeners a little background on yourself, like where you grew up and how did you get into uh, mixed martial arts? Um, so I grew up uh, near St. Louis, Missouri. It was actually Edwardsville, Illinois. And um, I mean, I went to college. I went away to school. I, I have a bachelor's degree that I obtained from Western Washington and a master's degree that I got from Northern Arizona University. So I was later in life when I started training. Um, After I finished those degrees, my husband and I moved back to the Midwest for him to further his job career. And it's there that I started training um, jujitsu under Steve Berger, who I believe you recently interviewed. And um, yep. And so I just started training jujitsu with Steve for self-defense and for exercise. And one thing led to the next. And next thing I knew, six months in, there was a boxer that was looking for um, an opponent. And Steve approached me and asked me if I'd want to fight. And he didn't think I'd even take it. Um, but I had never been in a fight in my life at that point. And I took it just out of curiosity. And that first amateur fight was also one week before my wedding. So there's that oh, little element too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I took the fight. She beat my ass in the first round because she stood with me and she had hands of which at the time I had none. And then in the second round, she took me to the ground where I finished the fight by choking her up. Um, And that was kind of the beginning of all of it. I ran to the corner and asked Steve when the next one was and it just kind of snowballed from there. Now, what kind kind of a child were you growing up? Were you very... um athletic um like get a description as how you were as a kid growing up they always find that interesting like some fighters were were very shy growing up um socially awkward some of them were not um no i was find that interesting i was pretty outgoing as a kid i was um you know, when we, I had a lot of, a lot of my mom's friends had boys. So I did have a lot of friends who were boys. So, you know, when you would go around and play Star Wars or Cowboys or whatever, you know, I was always the princess. 
but I was still in the, the um, sandbox making mud pies with them, you know, so <laughs> I was a, a little bit of an apprentice and a little bit of a tomboy, I guess, a little, a little of both. Um, it wasn't really, very, I mean, I really wasn't all that athletic. I did gymnastics as a little kid um, up through my tween years. Um, okay. I, I tried track, wasn't very good at that. Um, tried soccer, wasn't very good at that. So I really didn't do a whole lot of great athletics, like team sport athletics. Mm. Um, I did do a little bit of horseback riding at a pretty young age and also started um, scuba diving. I was certified when I was 13. So I had a lot of like outdoor, more outdoor activities that I enjoyed more than the team sports when I was younger. Yeah, I find that as a common element. Um... I think among most MMA fighters, like even if they were athletic and they did team sports, they, they preferred the uh, individual sports, Yeah, you know, and yeah. like, so like gymnastics, I would think that that would have probably helped you out. You know, if you did that for a few years, because that builds up coordination. Oh, sure. No, when I did jujitsu, I, I picked it up really fast and I, I definitely credit um, gymnastics to giving me that level of body awareness that, you know, that a lot of boys had from things like wrestling when they were little. So I think that gymnastics definitely helped with my jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Yeah. So you you did your one fight without having it. You did had zero martial arts experience. No, you know, typical traditional martial arts like Taekwondo or Judo. No. Just wanted to see for self Not until I was about 26, I think, was when I started with Steve. Wow. Yeah. So how was that? What was your thought process going into that fight? Were you freaking out? or you Oh, were yeah, I was terrified. Yeah, I was, I was scared out of my mind. Um, but what Steve's coaches told him is what he told me. is like, the only way out of this building is through that cage. So, I mean, one of my mantras that I've had since then, from the very beginning, it's you get to the cage and it's, I mean, honestly, the thing that goes through your head right before you walk through the cages, the cage doors is fuck it. Because <laughs> that's where you're at. It's like, this is happening. This is happening now. So I have to do it one way or another. So fuck it. Here we go. <laughs> um, that's just kind of the attitude once you get there, all the fears and um, anxiety and everything else just has to kind of go away and you just have to go do it. Yeah. And you had, um, before you turned pro, you had like what, six or eight amateur fights? Uh, no, I had quite, yeah, I mean, I had quite a lot. Man, I'd have to go back and look at my own record at this point, but I want to say it was like nine or ten. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had quite it a few. It was up there and it was... And, and that might have been boxing and MMA together. I can't, like I said, I'd have to go look up my own record at this point. I don't really remember. Okay. And then, and then you went pro. Yeah. And then, and then you became the first flyweight champion for Invicta. Yeah. Now, how, how was your experience with Invicta? Like, can you explain that to everybody that's listening to the show? Like, <laughs> how, did, did you, like how did you feel about um, competing? Because back in that day, you were probably, you know, that was probably MMA for females was wasn't really that popular, right? Because you, you probably were doing it before Ronda Rousey put oh, it on yeah. the road, there, yeah. right? No, no. I mean, so you mentioned I was on Tough, and the reason I went to Tough was because that was just over a year, maybe two years ago, and that was when my weight class just got added to the UFC. So well late past my prime in my career was you know by the time my weight class got added to the UFC. Um, so when Invicta came to the forefront, we were at a place with women's MMA where very, very few large promotions had women on their rosters at all. Um, 
it was like sure dog went under or was going under bow dog was gone um i'm trying to remember if you, if you can help spit some up for me that would, that would bellator be i mean yeah, strike force. A handful but i don't think they really had flyweights at the time and it was also in this period that i decided to quit my job and um start fighting full time so it was a really sketchy period for me personally and Invicta coming in and being successful and bringing women in was great because we had something that seemed moderately secure at the time um, that had every single weight class that they could, you know, that, that was out there. Um, so it gave us a little bit of job security. Um, but even, even though there was this promotion and I got signed pretty quickly with them uh, once they started going and even with them, they were not having regular promotions. Um, I mean, they were trying, but they were still organizing their own brand and their own company and figuring out um, when to do shows and trying, I think, to set them up in a way that they weren't on the same nights as larger promotions. And so even signed for them, signed for a fight, the fight could be pushed weeks and weeks off. So it was good, but I was still fighting maybe once a year. If I was really lucky, I'd get twice a year. So it was, it was, it was good, but it still wasn't the most lucrative path. Yeah. Um, although I was paid pretty well by Invicta as average pay goes for promotions. You know, it's not UFC championship money, but um, you know, I, they did pay pretty well. Mm-hmm. So if I fought a couple times a year, I was still doing, making enough to support myself. So it was, it was, it was decent. Yeah. I mean, you weren't making Connor no. money. No, never, <laughs> never made a Liddell money. Yeah, but no. you were you were able to do something you like and sure. not do the nine to five uh, job. Sure. Yes, and, and support yourself. So I guess you know most people like that's all they can ask for, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. So then you got on. Yeah, because back in those days. Like even like Strike Force, I don't even think they had like your weight division. They had like Gina Tavaros. Yeah, one one fifteen and one thirty five has always been the popular weight classes for women. Um, they've always been the ones that hit the larger organizations first. And I did think about one fifteen time and time again, but the smallest I ever managed to fight was at one twenty, and that was against Louise Herrig. And it was rough. It was a rough go. And I got bigger and bigger, bigger as I put more muscle on and was in the industry longer. And 115 just became less and less of reality. And I did. So after, um, after I was released from my title in Invicta, I considered it again, but I had to lose a lot of muscle to go into that. But it never came in. You know, they added 125, but I was much smaller by the time I went into tough. Than I was when I left Invicta too because of making that debate about maybe going to 115. But um, yeah, so even in the larger, back in those days and the larger ones, it was always 115 and 35, and that was pretty much it. Now, when you were Invicta, and I mean, obviously, you know, you had probably you know a successful amateur career and started winning fights as a pro. Did you foresee yourself being a world champion? I mean, that was always the goal. I, I mean, definitely not when I started, you know, not when I started back with Burger, with Steve in St. Louis. It was just something to do. It was something fun to do that I liked. And like I said, it just kind of snowballed. And I, 
I was working um, at a laboratory. I was managing a laboratory at a university in St. Louis, and that was my career. You know, I dedicated 10 years of my life to education for sciences. And mm -hmm. so, you know, that's where my life was, or so I thought. Um, and yeah, no, it took me two years of my husband kind of pushing me to con convincing me um, and also for him to be in a place with his career where he could help support me if it didn't work out well, but to quit my job and to become a fighter. Um, and there was a period where he was finishing up his degree and I gave myself a one year period to be like, okay, one year I'm going to do something with this pro thing or not at all. And that period, um, he finished his schooling and we moved up to the Quad Cities where I started training um, with military fighting systems. Um, mm. Junior Hernandez was currently the, the head coach at the time there, but Pat Maltich was still there and played an active role in my camps as well, too. And that's where my career really took off. Now, you saying your husband, like, pushed you. Was there a particular reason he pushed you? Did he say, you know, you seem like happy doing this maybe this is something you should do or did he see something in you like no he 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 knew i was good he knew i was good and he, he saw it in me before i i realized that it was a possibility and um he he's a no regrets kind of person and he knew that if i didn't try it that i think he he knew that i would regret not doing it eventually so yeah mm -hmm. he he talked about it and kind of nudge me towards going full-time for a while because he just he believed in me that much is he is he a martial artist too he dabbled um he's done a few nagas and things like that with jujitsu mm. but um he is a human who breaks easy <laughs> he was yeah. a hockey player and he's used to sliding and you know and wrestling and jujitsu you thud more than you slide and so he had broken ribs and toes and fingers and even an orbital um, so he just got injured a lot and was off the mats more than he was on them, but he did compete in a few jiu-jitsu tournaments. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely not easy. So, so he, he, you had a very supportive husband, so now you're in Victa, and you're winning fights, and then you finally got and, and won the world championship. What, yeah. what did that feel like? Did you feel like, did it feel surreal to you? Or did it feel like, yes, I finally accomplished my goal? Or did it feel like you were in a dream world when you accomplished that? That's, that's a quite an accomplishment, you know? Um, I mean, so let's see. Before that camp, in that camp, I broke my nose terribly. I remember that. So I was a huge mouth breather, and I was worried she was going to clock me on the chin and knock me out. Um, but, I, I mean, I think that camp was so incredibly hard, and – you know, I was at Militich, and Militich was still in the days of you break your nose, you go bleed it out in the trash and get back on the mats. Yeah. At camp. And um, I just, I remember just being so happy that that work and all that pain and all that exhaustion paid off. Um, it was relief, I think. There was a lot of relief that it, it went the way it did and that I got to have that belt because you make so many sacrifices in your life everything goes into that camp and um blood sweat and tears and pain you know and I, I think I was just so happy to see the the fruits of my labor so you know that it was worth it it was worth the pain it was worth the not being able to sleep at night because I had a broken nose getting addicted to afrin to try to sleep at night and so forth and so on 
Um, but yeah, it was surreal too. I mean, I knew the work I put in. I knew the work I put into that camp. So um, I wouldn't say that I was surprised that I won. I thought that I should have won, you know, when I'm pretty confident. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it was validation. I think if anything else, winning that title was validation for everything we were doing. Now, when you were in, I got to ask this is I'm an old diehard UFC fan. <laughs> of the old Pat Milicic days. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm showing my age. So when you were at Pat Milicic's camp, yeah. you were there during the heyday of Matt Hughes and all of them and Jeremy Horn and did you get to like were they um, well, I was, at the same time? Or? So um, when I was there, a lot of those guys still hung out. Like Robbie was, it was, it was right around the time that Robbie went to AT&T, but Robbie was still there for maybe the first six months or maybe even the first year that I was there. But um, so Robbie still hung around and he was there. I don't know if you remember Drew McFedries. Drew was still coming around. Jens Pulver would come around. Tim Sylvia was still around. Matt would drop in once in a while. Um, I mean, Spencer Fisher was still around. Like, there was quite a few of the old guys still there. They were on other shows. Um, yeah, Strike Force. Well, I want to say, was it one of They were all over the place. Like Jeremy yeah, Horn was all both, over the place. Yeah, both Jens had, Jens had a couple fights, and Tim had a couple fights, I think, still while I was there. Um, mostly overseas, not in the States. I forget the promotion they were with. But um, a couple of them were still active and competing, which is always fun. Um, but then we also, I came up with, um, currently you have in there is Eric Shelton and okay. I, I don't know, he's a 25er in the UFC right now. And he was coming up the same time I was coming up. Um, but there's been a few others from our day and we've all scattered. We've got our MFS is no more. The gym's gone. Um, some of those guys up there still dabble and play and there's still great fights that happen up in the quad cities, but most of us have scattered, but there are a few people that have made into the UFC that were in that group together. So it's pretty fun to watch them still. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know that they spent this band. That's that's a shame. Yeah. Yeah, because they, I mean, back in the day, prior to them, it was the Lions Den, and then. Oh yeah. In terms of, you know, a recognizable gym, it was Pat Miltich. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. and nowadays it's I don't. I mean, they got, you know, AT&T, the Brazilians, whatever, top team, whatever they call themselves. But I don't think those teams can compare to what the older gyms, I think. I think they, it seemed to me that they had, uh, like, the guys, they trained, they, they seemed to be more loyal to each other, I think is the word I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. More yeah. family-oriented. You know, they, they treated each other like family. That's just well, the point I got as, as an outsider looking in. Back in those days, it was still boxer versus wrestler versus jiu-jitsu, yeah. and the gyms were primarily one of those martial arts dominant over the other. And I think Pat was one of the first gyms um, to pull martial arts from a lot of different places and integrate it. Obviously, he was a wrestling-based gym, but um, he pulled aspects from Dutch Thai and from jiu-jitsu and any martial art that he thought had something useful and put it into a system and that's where he created Miltich Fighting Systems, MFS. It was his own, his own yeah. art. Yeah. He was one of if I'm not mistaken, I think he was a uh, kickboxing champion before he got into MMA. Oh, 
from what I recall. Could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't. I honestly don't know. Um, very likely, though. I mean, it was, so how was your training different from there than, let's say, like Steve's gym? Um, Steve's gym was, I mean, I would call Steve's gym definitely jujitsu dominant. I, he, he's where my jujitsu started. Um, and it, I felt like his was more jujitsu, jujitsu, where Pat's gym was more ground and pound and wrestling. Um, I think my jujitsu was at its top. My, my straight Brazilian jujitsu, Nogi, was at its best when I was with Steve. My ground game continued to grow when I got to Pat's because I, I learned how to integrate wrestling and ground and pound and things like that in with my jujitsu. Um, we, I mean, Steve's gym was also um, up and coming when I was there. So it was more of an amateur gym and we were all still learning. I think at the time, but, um, you know, I, I outsourced a little bit, like I would go to Sid Gee for karate. I would go to different people for boxing or conditioning. And when I was with Militich, I could do everything except my conditioning. And I could do my conditioning there, but I chose to go, um, with, um, a, another conditioner, um, a big five conditioning in, uh, in the quad cities because he was amazing. Mm -hmm. Josh Howitt, but I mean, I could do everything that I needed to do at that gym if I wanted to, instead of kind of grabbing a few other people. Okay. And then, so at this point, you were you won the Invicta Bell. How far in between becoming a champ, and did it take for you to get on that Ultimate Fighter show? <sighs> so I had the title. I think it was for three years. Okay. And then it was around that point that, so my coach, Junior Hernandez, was also still actively fighting. And he chose to go to AT&T in Florida to start training. So he left and moved. Um, and it was around that same time that, so a bridge was being, a new bridge was being built over where um, gravity, where our gym was. Okay. And our gym was about to get demolished. So the gym where I was at was sort of falling apart a little bit and that we lost one of the most important people there and the actual gym was going to have to get moved and we weren't sure where it was going to get moved if it was at all. So it was at that point that I told my, my husband who wanted to look for a new job to go ahead and look for a new job. And he got a new job in Washington state. And then I moved out to Washington state. And after we moved to Washington, I was on about a three year hiatus out here where um, I floated around from gym to gym and had a, a pretty hard time finding one where I felt like I fit, um, where I meshed with people, coaches, um, so, and that wasn't, that wasn't over an hour away from where I lived. Um, and I finally found Eddie Grant, um, it's Catalyst Fight House in Everett, Washington, and okay. that's where I started training a little bit. And I found him only about three months prior to um, the show being announced. So Eddie and I had known each other. There was mutual respect. Um, I, I was training another girl named Julia Jones a little bit in his gym at the time, but I hadn't really jumped full blown into his gym. But when I saw the announcement for my weight class coming in by way of a tough, I wrote Eddie and I was like, hey, do you wanna help me get ready for this? Um, and being that I had been out for about um, three three years, 
uh, we did a lot of pad work, a lot of conditioning, and got basically just tryout ready. You know, we knew what the tryouts were going to be, so we got tryout ready. And I didn't even have to ask Eddie. He was like, I'm going to Vegas with you. I'm going to help you do this. And I was like, great. That's great. So he was super supportive from the very beginning. Um, stylistically, I felt like we jived really well. He had a lot of old school techniques, kind of like what I had from MFS and Burger. And so, um, yeah, I went to the tryouts and I had a pretty good idea going out there. I mean, my only um, apprehension was that I'd been out so long, but I had a pretty good idea that with my previous history, that there was a good chance I'd get in. I was over the age limit for the show, so I had to do some extra medicals and things like that. And they didn't make an exception for me, but um, you know, I, I figured I had a pretty good shot at getting on, and I did. So then I started getting a little more hardcore into training with Eddie, and <laughs> after being about three years out, I had maybe six months back in before I went on to the show. So, um, yeah, it was, I was still trying to get better while I was on the show, I guess you could say. Um, but I mean, I think I performed considering, um, that I'd been out for three years and only back into training for about six months. I felt like my performance on the show was, um, you know, I, I was, I was pretty satisfied with where I was when I was on it, I think. Now you say you were out for three years. You were still training. You just weren't training at an intensity of a. Yeah, I mean, I was. I was training. I did jujitsu for a while, like in a gi with Andrew Solheim in Everett, and I went and played with Ivan Salivary for a while in Seattle. Um, but I mean, it was it wasn't full time training. It was a couple times a week. Type oh, stuff. okay. Yeah, so, I mean, it was more dabbling in playing than actual training, I guess. Yeah, I mean, because on the show, you looked, like, in great shape. I mean, I don't know, I guess maybe you just focused more on a weightlifting cardio or... Very, very skinny. <laughs> <laughs> very lean, yeah. Um, yeah, so, friends of mine who've been on the show formerly were, like, come in, try to be within 10 pounds and maintain that while you're on the show, because the thing is, is you never know when you're going to fight and you want to be able to make weight. So yeah, I, I was very lean, but I also cut down my weight to be in the house. I was really small in the house the whole time when I was there, but I mean, I do think there was benefits because weight cut was always super easy. Mm. I didn't now, your coach was Eddie Alvarez, right? Yes. Yeah. Eddie was great. Yeah. Now, how was it being on the show? I mean, is it? I mean, were the cameras really following you everywhere, twenty-four seven, or was it just like certain hours of the day? No, you had a microphone. So you you wore a microphone twenty-four seven. If you didn't, it hung next to your bed. Like the only time you could really take it off is if you jumped in a pool. Um, so no, you were recorded twenty-four seven. There's no doors on the rooms in the house of, I mean, there's for the bathrooms, but very little privacy. Um, but the experience was actually pretty great. I felt like we had a really, um, a really good house. Um, not, not too many drama starters and things like that. Um, it, it was a, it was a pretty good house. So there was, I, I don't think, feel like there was a lot of need to go hide. And if there was, the house was huge. The yard was huge. There's always some place to go duck away and be away from people. Now, I'm trying to remember, was the show all women or was it a mixture? Because some shows they had just all women, some they had mixed. Yep, we were all women. And I thought that all, was great. All women and everybody was 125. And it was, um, so the premise of that one was 125 pound women and whoever the last two 
standing were competed for the title, the first title. Now, I mean, I know you didn't make it to the finals, but did being on that show kind of help you at that point in time with your career at all? Or I'm assuming you did because you got exposure um, to the. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a lot of exposure. It was also being out for three years. I didn't really know where I fit in the rankings anymore and things like that. I didn't know, um, you know, how I would measure up to other 125 pound girls. So it helped me see where I was again with respect to competition. And, um, you know, I think that was the, the biggest thing for me to see that I could still be somewhat competitive. Um, and yeah, I mean, so because of a duration of being out with my move and having a hard time finding my gyms and Victor released me from my title. And then there was this period of, am I done? Am I not done in my life where I kind of, I kind of retired before I retired, I guess you could say. So I felt like doing the show gave me a couple benchmarks. One, it, I, I got to check off the UFC veteran. I got to be, I got to do a tough and I got to check off the UFC veteran, which are two, I think, things that a lot of fighters strive to have on their fight resume before they finish. The other thing it did was by the time I finished in the UFC, by the time I had that last loss to Roxanne, I knew I was ready to retire. I was happy to walk away from the sport where before I did tough in the UFC, I felt like I wasn't quite done yet. It was really hard to let it go. So going through the show and getting to fight in the UFC a few times, um, although past my prime and way later than I would have preferred it to have been in my career, um, I think it was really great that I got to add those things to my resume and also feel like I got closure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough sport that you know you fighters are in, but in in general athletics is it's kind of hard to keep going and maintain. Like you know every single sport, someone's gotta look at themselves in the mirror and say, you know, it's time to hang it up. You know, in your case, it's the the, the gloves, so to speak, the MMA gloves. Yeah, and the physical drive has to, your heart has to match your physical drive. I feel like I could have fought for a few more years, but it was to the point that I was done making personal sacrifices for the sport. And I knew that was when I, I knew that was when it was time to be done because you have to, but you know, it's, you basically make your partner, um, it's a, they're kind of MMA widows, you know, like where they, yeah. They, yeah, they they just they get left on the sidelines while you're going to do your thing, and then on the, the your day off, your rest day, they want to have you and play with you, and all you want to do is sleep and hydrate and feel better, and you're kind of grumpy because your body hurts and you're probably starving, and so it's just it's a really rough thing to do with a partner, and you know going in, coming out, and then trying to go back in, I. I realize that you know my husband had, had sacrificed enough and I had sacrificed enough of my time with him that I was just really not ready to do that again it, it just it, again it helped me um, it helped me walk away when it was time to walk away so what are you what are you doing now that you're retired from MMA um, so I've been coaching and training other people I started in the last year started coaching and training more people and 
Um, I'm loving it. I did it a little bit in my early career. I did some personal training. Uh, when I originally quit my job and started fighting, I did a little bit of personal training back then. And, um, you know, it was just like a natural progression kind of when I was done fighting to start help other people, um, you know, not just, not just fight training, but um, other conditioning. I've got a woman who's uh, was a former bodybuilder and wants to get back in bodybuilding and she's also got a physical job starting up so I'm helping her get ready. I have a woman who um, wants to become a firefighter so I recently helped her pass her CPAT. Um, you know and I've got I've got people who are starting up jiu-jitsu and want to be physically ready for jiu-jitsu so I mean all of that's really really rewarding and fun. Now is this at, is this at a gym that you own or you work out of a gym? Like? No um, I guess you could say I rent time out of okay. the gym uh so there's two i'm, I'm still at catalyst fight house in everett uh, so eddie the the gym that helped me get ready for tough and then there's another one um in very close proximity it's a it's a strongman gym called ego which is okay. also in everett yeah so i, I work out of both of those now do, you, do, do your clients know that you are a world mma champion yeah they do um you think videos. that's why they sought you out or was it um, like how, how did they find out did they just see your flyer train with a world champ or so a lot of them i obtained through catalyst through the mma gym and then the ones that i've obtained through ego um they usually tell the clients what i, I mean and they don't necessarily know what it means they're not all mma fans but they yeah. know that i had a history of being a champ I don't know that they all necessarily know exactly what it means but they know they know that I was mm. yeah. now when your friends growing up that you, that you stayed in touch with and they found out that you were doing MMA and you became a world champ were they at all shocked or were they like ah we figured you'd be a champ um, I, I mean I, I feel like I had a mix of both um, some people were really surprised by it and other people had the, uh, they, they could see it. I don't, I mean, I don't know. I guess it just depends on everybody knows a different version of you, I guess. And it just depends yep. on which version of me they thought they knew, I think. Um, yeah. so I had, I had both, I, I had both sides of that. Mm. So what, what are your plans for your future? Are you just going to grow your training business, um, write a book? On your life as an MMA fighter, um, an sure, I'd write a book if somebody'd be willing to help me publish that. That'd be fun. No, but um, you know, I don't know. I feel I feel like I'm at a place where I'm kind of starting over again. For right now, I'm focusing on uh, my training business, but I, I'm always open to ideas and options at this point. You know, I feel a little bit like I'm starting over at 40. Um, I think it's one of the really hard parts for fighters when you quit is you kind of have this change of identity. I, I've dedicated 12, 13 years of my life to this and now it's, it's what do I do, you know? So at the moment I feel like it's my turn to give back, which is part of the reason I like training so much. Um, but I, I feel like I could go a lot of different avenues right now. So I'm, I'm very open um, to opportunities. And it's one of those things I'm going to place that if I get an opportunity, I'm probably going to take it and see how things work out. But my primary focus at the moment is training. 
is working with people. Okay. Now, do you have a, um, for anybody who's interested out there and is listening to the show that's near you, uh, you mentioned the gyms, but is there like a, like how, how do they get in touch with you? Just go show up at the gym. Is there a Facebook handle you have or a website? Yeah, I need to work on all of that. <laughs> um, my Instagram is probably my most active, at bhanchak. Um, otherwise, contacting me through Messenger on, on Facebook is a pretty good option. Otherwise, email honchab at hotmail.com. Yes, hotmail. I know I'm old, too. Yeah. Those are all good ways to get a hold of me. Otherwise, yeah, Ego, you can contact me through either um, Catalyst in Everett or Ego in Everett. Okay. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, in a nutshell, a summary of your life on the Mark the Shark MMA Show podcast. <laughs> How's it feel? <laughs> it, feels, I don't know, it feels good. It's been a moment. It's been a moment since I've, I've given my biography out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was a pleasure and an honor having you on the show. I had a blast. Thank you. And um, hope hope to uh, have you on again in the future. Sure. And if you ever get to need someone to help you with your book, I can give you some tips. <laughs> That'd be great. Alrighty. Yeah. Okay. All right, everyone. We'll be back after this break. Hey, fans. Here at Podcast City Network, we have a lot of great shows on all of our great social media outlets, podcastcity.net. Facebook.com slash podcastcitynetwork. Hit that thumbs up. You can send a tweet to Podcast City Network on Twitter at podcastcitynet. Only on Podcast City Network. Hey, what's up, world? This is Will, and you are about to listen to the Mark the Shark MMA show. Enjoy the show. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to www.audibletrial.com slash MMA show and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to www.audibletrial.com slash MMA show. Are you looking for your next action thriller novel? Check out The Cabal. The saga begins. You can find it on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Or www.retortofamilybooks.com That's R-I-T-O-R-T-L familybooks.com Again, check out the next great action thriller suspense mood book called The Cabal. The saga begins. Hi, this is Mark the Shark Retorto. This is a message to all the parents out there. Are you looking for an inspirational book for your child to read? Well, check out a book written by a child, an 11-year-old little girl by the name of Christina Retorto. She has two books. One is called Invisible Girl, and one is called I Am a Survivor. Both inspirational books written by a child for a child. You can find them at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com, as well as her website, www. 
www.retortofamilybooks.com. Again, that's R-I-T-O-R-T-L. guys this is mark the shark retorto letting you know that you can visit my website www.markthesharkmmashow.com you can get our podcast episodes on there and you can also shop the swag get your hoodies get your t-shirts get your hats it's all on there for both men and women we do not discriminate go out there and check it out www.markthesharkmmashow.com Hi everyone, just want to make a note to all the fans that are listening to this podcast, we appreciate any donation you can make to keep this podcast up and running, no matter how small, anyway from a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars. To make a donation, all you have to do is go to my website, www.markthesharkmmashow, and click on the donation button on the first page. It's that easy. Again, it's www.markthesharkmmashow.com. And it's Angelica from A Little Bit of Everything With Me podcast. And you're listening to Mark the Shark MMA Show. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate to his podcast for more amazing episodes. guys we're at the end of our show this is mark retorto i'm signing off and don't forget to follow us on our facebook page it's called the mark the shark mma show and it's mark with a c not a k and also feel free to leave us messages by using the anchor app and also don't forget if you look in a mood for a good action thriller book to buy my book called the cabal the saga begins it's available on amazon and barnesandnoble.com and if you need a good book for your kid Get the I Am Survivor book or Invisible Girl book written by my daughter, Christina Retorto, also available on Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed the show and continue to listen to our shows every week. Thank you.